this is the final session before tea. Uh, getting your research noticed, public engagement in history of medicine. And our presenter is Dr. Lindsay Harris, who was until recently, I think, postdoctoral re uh, research fellow funded by the Wellcome Trust at Queen Mary in London. Uh, and her research focuses on medical networks in the 17th and 18th century. Uh, centuries, but today she's going to talk to us about public engagement. And I think it's an area where Lindsay has considerable experience, so I think one of the things we're going to see uh, is something called the surgeon's apprentice, yes. is that right? Uh, and she's also uh, appeared in various media, such as television and newspapers. Uh, notwithstanding, I mean, I quite agree with the point that Hillary just made about not every single uh, funding body wants public engagement built into it, but an awful lot of them do as well, including the Wellcome Trust. So I think this fits very nicely with the, 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 the two papers that we've just heard. So, Lindsay, can I uh, turn it over to you, please? All right. Well, thank you. Um, I think I should probably say from the start that I have no institutional affiliation and I have no funding. So um, I did do a postdoc and I've now moved beyond and I'm a freelance writer and I engage with medical history. I think I should also say that I have a reputation a bit of being sort of macabre and morbid. Um, so on that note, I'm going to tell you just a really short little story, and you're going to see how this relates to engaging with the public in a second. But in the last decades of the 19th century, people in Derbyshire used to collect their teeth when they'd fall out of their mouths in jars. And when they died, these jars of teeth were buried alongside them in coffins into the ground. And for those who didn't do this, it was believed that on the Day of Judgment, they would have to go searching for these missing teeth in buckets of blood in the fiery depths of hell. Um, so, happy story. Um, <laughs> and that's a jar of teeth. Um, but you may be wondering what this has to do with public engagement um, and medical history. Well, this is one of the many stories that I tell on my website called The Surgeon's Apprentice. And it opens up discussions about people's literal interpretation of an afterlife and the idea of a physical resurrection and then links to why people feared being dissected in the 18th and 19th centuries. So it's a great way into opening up that sort of discussion. So when I tell people that I'm a medical historian, I'm usually faced with this question. Um, <laughs> that's a real job. Um, and when I convince them that it's a real discipline and I'm trying to make it a real job for myself in my own kind of way, it's usually followed by loads of other questions about our medical past. And it's become really clear to me from these conversations that people are fascinated with medical history and they always want to know more. So it was from those discussions and also from the fact that I did all my degrees at once. So I did my undergrad, my master's, my DPhil, and I started my postdoc two weeks after my Viva. So it was really intense. And I kind of got sick of theorizing and philosophizing about history. And I wanted to get back to why I loved medical history. So I decided to start this web website called The Surge's Apprentice with the antiquated spelling. So a lot of people come up to me at events and they say, are you the Chirurgian's Apprentice? And so in retrospect, I maybe shouldn't have chosen that spelling. But, um, but I started the website purely just out of the joy of reaching a broader audience and just trying to fall in love with the subject again myself. I had no expectations. I thought my dad would read it and a few family members who, by the way, thought a postdoc was another degree and they were wondering when the hell I was going to get out of <laughs> education. Um, and I was lucky because my dad did read it and he encouraged me to get on social uh, media networks and it kind of grew and grew. And now, today, it has 40,000 subscribers and has had almost one million hits. And to me, it's probably the most rewarding thing that I've ever done, even more than my DPhil, although my PhD obviously enabled me to do this as well. 
But I love when people come up to me and they say, I never knew that medical history was a subject. Um, you know, I went to the local bookstore and I got all these books about, um, about something that I wrote about on. Uh, I've even had people come up to me and say that they've changed their degrees to go do a master's in it. So this is really rewarding to me. Um, so I'm going to be talking to you about public engagement, medical history, and obviously as a blogger, one of the things I would encourage people to do if you're interested in sort of a creative endeavor, reaching out beyond academia, is just start a blog. It's easy, it's free, um, and it's, it's just a really great way of engaging with the public. So people generally you know, ask, well, how do you make a blog popular? And you can go to a lot of seminars. I just learned by trial and error. Um, oh, and I should also say, so some of the things I write about are body snatchers books found in human skin, and Victorian anti-masturbation devices, which was a very popular article. And I'm just going to leave this image up here so we can all appreciate that someone at the Wellcome Trust put this lovely object on a pair of Levi jeans, um, <laughs> which has got a lot of comments, too, on the blog. Um, but anyway, so how do you make a blog popular? So there's a couple of things you can do from the outset. So when I first started The Surgeon's Apprentice, I started also guest blogging. So go to the websites that you really enjoy reading, and if they have a huge audience, ask if you can write for them. I was really lucky because I wrote for Holly Tucker's Wonders and Marvels. She runs a really great website. She had, um, wrote a very interesting book on the history of blood transfusion. She's based out in the US. And she brings a lot of medical historians, scientific historians together writing short little pieces. And what this did was it drove some of her audience to go look at my website. So it starts to help build your readership on your blog. But remember, like at first, you're probably going to start it and like 10 people are going to go to it and that's going to be a great day, you know. Um, and eventually, you know, if you keep at it, it you know, you can get as many as 12,000 in a day and it's, it's really fantastic. But guest blogging is a great way of building your audience. Um, and the other thing is the power of social media. I know a lot of academics might turn their noses up to this idea, but get on Facebook, you know, start a fan page. It sounds weird, to start, you know, a fan page. But what it enables you to do, I probably produce about one to two articles, that's it, for The Surgeon's Apprentice. I also write for another blog, which I'll get to. But I only produce one to two articles a month. Um, and so what Twitter and Facebook allow me to do is to constantly interact with my readers using images. So I post probably about 10 images from the Welcome Trust each day um, with like sort of little descriptions. And this is great because people can continue to interact with medical history, ask questions, but you don't necessarily have to be producing articles for that. And it's also great because they tend to share these you know, weird and fascinating objects and it builds your readership and so you get new readers every day. I think my um, social media now is growing at about like 200 new readers a day. So it's a really great way. So get on social media. Um, also, just remember that blogs aren't just about what you have to teach the public. It's, it's a learning experience for you. Um, for me, it's kind of, I love when people ask me questions that I would never have thought to ask myself. And it can help you as a researcher. I mean, if you just start a blog not really intending to do public engagement in any kind of serious way, it can still help you think um, about your research in a different angle uh, academically. So just remember, it's a two-way street, and it's a learning process, and just have a lot of fun with it. So I said from the start that I am a freelancer at the moment. I don't have any funding. I don't have any institutional association. Um, I, so for the like, so last part, I'm going to talk about how you could start to generate an income. And it's kind of a slow-going process, but it can be rewarding. If, you know, when you're a freelancer, you got to be kind of, you got to start, you know, begging for jobs at first and money and stuff. But I'm going to tell you some of the ways that I've started to generate an income. So 
I run into a second website I started about three months ago called Grave Matters, and it's about the history of crime and punishment. And I co-write it with my friend Chris Scaife, who is a yeoman warder, or beef eater, and, a ra and the Raven Master at the Tower of London. He's got like the coolest job title ever. Um, and that's him, and that's, that's Merlina untying his shoe, one of the ravens at the tower. And it's great. This is such a fun pair-up, and this is another way to start a blog because it challenges you to think about your writing differently. So Chris has no real formal education. He has an army background. He lives at the Tower of London. I mean, we're just completely different in a lot of ways. We share similar interests, and he's always challenging me to think more creatively. I'm probably challenging him to think more literally about history, um, and, it, and it really works, and we have a lot of fun. So one of the projects that we started recently with a friend of ours who's a cartoonist is something called the Hung and Drawn Quarterly. <laughs> Great title. Um, <laughs> that was a brainstorm at a pub, by the way. Pubs are great for creative juices, get, get those juices flowing. Anyway, um, what it's going to be is it's going to be four sort of grisly true tales about death and executions and punishment it, for, for each century starting in the 15th. And it's Chris and me in cartoon form, and this is the first one, and this is the Duke of Clarence, the execution of the Duke of Clarence in the 15th century. And what we hope hope is that at the, you know, we'll have enough eventually to create like a little book that we can sell on the website. In the meantime, we've actually made prints of these and we're selling the original artwork and we've only started doing that in the past three weeks and we've already made 650 pounds, which isn't too bad. Um, and they're pretty cheap to print and it's just a really fun way to get your readers engaging and buying something. Uh, we have bookmarks and other things like that, but it's a really fun creative project. So that's one way you can start to generate income from a website. You can start doing merchandising. I don't really like t-shirts and mugs and stuff, but you know, it is a way to kind of make money. This I find a lot more fun because you're actually learning something as well and it's, it's a great history story. The other way is through freelance writing. So as your reputation as a blogger grows, you'll probably get opportunities to write for other uh, publications. So I've written for New Scientists. They pay very well. Um, the Lancet's always looking for medical historians to do a two-page article for them, and they also pay. History Today, New York Times, um, all of these kind of wonderful publications that as, you are start, as, as they start to see you as someone who can engage with the public, on history, you're going to become uh, more and more valuable to these publications, and they'll come to you. And, and you know, you can always approach them as well. History Today is always looking for writers, BBC History, et cetera, et cetera. So those are paid gigs. Um, they come and, and go, and you got to kind of grab them as they as they do. But that is a way to support yourself as a freelance writer. The other thing is filming. Um, so there's probably going to be some people here that have views about historians doing film work. I've done some stuff for Channel 4, BBC, History Channel. I just did something for PBS last week, which is going to be really great, on the 18th century anatomist uh, William Hewson and Ben Franklin. Um, the thing with filming is, you know, if you've ever turned on the television and you see a documentary and you think it's really crap, um, we kind of only have ourselves to blame because a lot of academics aren't willing to engage. Um, and I, I get this time and again, producers you know, come to me and they say, oh, I'm so glad that you know, you're willing to talk to us because we've called so many other historians and they don't really want to engage or talk with us. So if you, I, I feel like you kind of have to change it from within. Um, and of course, you do run the risk of being on the show that's maybe a little sensational. There's kind of like tricks to, you know, when, when they're shooting you, and you do a second take, you can kind of move your body slightly to a different direction so they can't like cut different things until, you know, just. <laughs> yes. 
Um, but I find it really fun to work in a visual medium. Um, it is hard. At first, you don't really get paid because you need the camera experience. But as you start to gain a reputation, of course, you can get paid for the uh, PBS thing. I got about 350 pounds for a couple hours work. Um, and I think if you host a show, you can get as much as 500 pounds an hour, but you're not hosting a show you know, indefinitely. So you, it just the income comes and, and goes, so to speak. At the moment, I'm talking to a couple production companies, one in LA. So unfortunately, I can't stay for the panel because I, I actually have a call. LA has a really big time difference from here um, to do a show on the medicalization of death and dying and why we now die in hospitals and how we kind of progress to that point. It'd be really interesting. Um, subject if we can get a commission. So you can make money filming. Um, the last thing I'm going to talk about is just events, essentially. You can start hosting events, engaging with the public, and you can also generate some kind of income from that. The first event, there's two that I host. One of them is called the Death Salon. So the first one I did was in LA with a group of people that are fantastic. They're part, uh, there's a woman named Caitlin Doty, and she's a mortician, and she has a YouTube series called Ask a Mortician, and people ask her questions about death and dying, and it's very entertaining, and she has a book coming out, and she's brought together philosophers, artists, historians, undertakers, hospice, all kinds of people who are trying to change the way we talk and interact and think about death and dying so that it's not so scary. Um, and so I, I was marginally involved in the one in LA. It was a fantastic event over three days. And then we just hosted another one here in London, and that was at Bart's Pathology. And it was mainly curated by the uh, curator there, uh, Carla Valentine, which is her real name, which I love. Um, and this is Bart's Pathology. And you can see we had a couple hundred people turn out for the course of the three days. And it was a really inspiring event. We had a hospice workers talking about how they're trying to change um, the experience for not only the patients, but the families grieving and just really wonderful talks. So that's the first thing that I'm involved in. And the second one, which I'm more heavily involved in organizing, is an event called Historic Punch. Um, and that's pretty much, yeah, that's how we look. You know, each, each time I host one of these events, we're all dressed. No, we're not really dressed up. But there is a lot of gin. Um, it's sponsored by Hendrix Gin. And what it is is we, which is great, <laughs> finally got them on board, so we got free booze. And what it is is once a month, um, we host an event. It's usually at a club called Blacks in Soho, but we're taking it sort of on the road. So the next one's at Dr. Johnson's house. Um, and that's July 25th. And then there's one at the British Library. And there's one coming up at the Tower of London at night. So we're kind of going all over. But basically what it is is we pick a one-word theme, essentially. And we invite three speakers to give five to 10-minute flash talks. Um, so the first one was on overindulgence, because it was in January and it was after the holidays. We've had, um, you know, obviously, like we've had power, death, all kinds of different topics. And it's really fun to see how people interpret the theme. So some of the people we've had speak are these characters here. Um, so the guy on the left is a good friend of mine. And he's based in LA, but he comes into town every once in a while. His name's Dr. Paul Cudineris. And he wrote a book called Heavenly Bodies, which you may see in the bookstores. A really fantastic book about all these jeweled skeletons. Um, and you may have seen him in the news. And he is just as weird as he looks in that photo, but he's really fascinating. And he talked about the sex ghosts of the Palermo catacombs. 
And then up here we have Jago Cooper, who's a curator at the British Museum. He also appears on television a lot, the guy with the machete. He talked about on our theme about adventuring. And what I really loved about his talk was that instead of kind of giving a historical, uh, focusing on historical figure, he talked about how we can no longer be true adventurers because there's all these rules and regulations and paperwork. So that was a great interpretation of the theme. And then this is Caitlin Doty, the mortician. She also came and spoke. Um, and I do highly recommend you check out her YouTube series because she's very entertaining. So the, basically, the ways you can engage with the public, you know, get your blog started, and this can lead to freelance writing, which I find really rewarding, filming, which I love working in a visual medium. And probably the last thing that I'll just mention here is that in a couple weeks, I'm going to have my own YouTube series, which sounds, such, it sounds like such a ridiculous thing, but it's so rewarding for me. Um, and they're going to be essentially two to three minute clips on a medical object. Each one will be sort of on a medical object. And my friend Alex, who edited Les Mis, he's really good with the camera, he's going to be shooting um, the opening sequence, be nice and gruesome. But it's a way of getting people in, non-specialists, getting really excited about medical history. And I have to say, it's also a way of getting me excited again about medical history, too. So I hope you found that helpful.